I'll never forget, 2014, the PGA Championship was being played at the Valhalla Golf Club in Louisville, Kentucky. And my family lived up in Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati at the time. And, and um, my son, my oldest son is, is a golfer and, and a golf fan. So, so we had the opportunity to go to drive down to the PGA Championship in Louisville for a couple of days. And, and here's the best part. One of my good friends, who at the time was the CEO of a company who was involved with that championship, he had like VIP access to everything and, and he couldn't go a couple of those days. And so he gave his tickets to me and my, and my son and, and they were in this fancy lanyard. Which I know a lanyard may not seem like a great thing, but I'm telling you on those days, it was amazing because, because this lanyard was like an all access, you are an important person and you don't hang out with the commoners kind of lanyard. You ever had a lanyard like that? Like I'm there, we, we make the drive down to Louisville and, and um, we didn't have to park where all the commoners park and take a shuttle in to the event. No, 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 no. We, we had special parking. You know why we had special parking? Because I just showed this lanyard whoosh, like that. And we got in this special parking lot and, and we literally we got out of our car. We walked right into the course, right by the 17th tee box. And it was like amazing. No lines, no traffic, no nothing. Right in. We get into the course. We're walking around. There's special hospitality tents with food and, and um, like just manna from heaven falling from the sky. And we got to go into those places with air conditioning and, and free food food and drinks and all this. And it was amazing. We got to walk around and everywhere we went. Whoosh. No, see this right here? Like I get to go wherever I wanted to go. And then I'll never forget after, after the event, actually Rory McIlroy won, if you're a golf fan. And, and uh, we were staying on the 18th green that Sunday afternoon. And, and actually we, we, we did something I don't think we're supposed to do. I probably shouldn't be talking about this right now, but we just kind of walked right into the media area. There's some people standing there like guarding the way in like, and my son and I was like, hey, let's just go. So we walk by, whoosh, we get into the media area. We're back here with Phil Mickelson and Roy and all these guys. We're just hanging out. And we're like, oh man, this is amazing. And then some people began to make their way over toward us and we felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to leave <laughs> at that at that particular point in time. I don't think our lanyard granted us media access, but man, we just had a blast. And it was so cool because everywhere we went for those two days, we went with special privileges, with like a special identity, not because of anything that like we brought to the table, right? My son and I were just average, ordinary people, but we were there as if we were my friend who was like a sponsor kind of deal. And, and, and we had the lanyards. And the lanyards were like special privileges, right? Because as long as we had those lanyards, it's like we were my friend, which we weren't my friend, but we had the same privileges as my friend because he had the special lanyard and, and we just had a great two days living like all these other cool people live that we never get to live like, right? And, and we're in a series walking verse by verse through the book of Ephesians in and, and, and what, one of the coolest parts of, 
of the opening chapter of Ephesians is, is something that the Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter to the churches in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, one of the coolest things about this opening chapter of the letter is, like, is that multiple times, we're gonna see this today, Paul references that we are in Christ. They're like, like, like there's one long sentence in the original language that Paul uses to open the letter to the Ephesians. There's one long sentence. Verses three to 14 are all one sentence in the original language. And in, in those verses, right, just in, in, in those few verses, nearly 10 times, Paul references the fact that believers are in Christ. And you know what that means? It means that if you're a Christ follower today, you have something more special than a lanyard. It means that your identity now, right now, is such that you are seen by God the Father in the same way that Jesus is seen. And you have all the rights and you have all the privileges and you get something better than a hospitality tent with free food. And you get something better than great parking next to the 17th tee box. You get something better than an all access pass to a sporting event. Listen, the fact that Christ followers are in Christ means that our identity is now attached to his. And so whatever Jesus has, we have. Isn't that incredible? And as, and as we press into Ephesians 1 today, and we wrap up our time in Ephesians 1, I, I, just, I just want you to see uh, an incredible takeaway. This is like absolutely life-changing, okay? I, I want you to see that true identity is found in Christ. True identity is found in Christ. Not in your personality, not in your career, not in your wealth, not in your human relationships. True identity is only found in Christ. And when you find that identity in Christ, when you come to, to his salvation, when, when you have the hope of eternity, when, when you come to know Jesus as your friend and your brother, it is absolutely life-changing. And that identity should literally shape every single thing about your life because it gives you access and significance like nothing else. Now, this is Paul's concern in Ephesians 1. If you have a copy of God's word, I invite, the, invite you to turn there with me to Ephesians 1. And, and, and I just want, I want you to see here this morning how significant it is that, that, that Christ followers have an identity that is truly unique and absolutely life-changing. We saw this a little bit last week. Let me recap the few verses that we touched on last week, just profound uh, verses of scripture that Paul has given to us. But remember there in, in, in verse three, Paul starts out in this way. He said, blessed is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Here it is, first usage of this, in Christ. In other words, check this out. God has blessed 
you in the same way that, that Jesus is blessed. All the rights of Jesus, all the privileges of Jesus are yours if you are in Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavens in Christ. We talked last week about the fact, like, it's like if you went home today and you found a million dollars buried in your backyard, you would say, boom, I'm an instant millionaire. But the reality is, for as long as you've lived there, you've been a millionaire. You just didn't know it. Right? It wasn't until you found the money that you thought I became a millionaire, but the money was buried there the entire time. You just didn't know it. And it's like so often in life, right? We fail to to recognize that God has given to us every single thing we need in Christ. We have it at our disposal, right? We, We have it through the indwelling spirit. Listen, we have everything we need. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. And then we looked at these profound verses uh, in verses four through six. Paul went on to say four. Notice the four is connected to the fact that we are in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Four, he chose us in him. Again, notice the emphasis here. We're in Christ. He chose us how? In him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. We talked last week about the fact that that Paul's emphasizing salvation is all of grace. As he will say, and we'll see this in chapter two, right? For by grace, you are saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is all of grace. We talked about the fact that Paul's emphasizing here, our salvation is intentional. God did not just decide on the fly to save us. God was not wringing his hands in heaven when we sinned, right? I mean, God was like, no, I've got a plan here because God sees time in its entirety. That's why Jesus, remember when he was talking about his deity, referred to himself as the I am. What was Jesus saying? What he was saying is that he is outside of time. He is sovereign, right? He is the Messiah. He, he, he's not limited by the space and time limitations that you and I are limited by because we are finite. He is infinite. And when Jesus says, I am I am, everyone there in the Jewish audience knew he's making a statement that he is God. Jesus said, I am. In other words, I'm always present tense. <laughs> there's no past, there's no future, there's only present. And, and, and here's what Paul's reminding us of, that our salvation is something that God had, had planned before the foundation of the world was ever made. And he did so because our God is outside of the limitations of time and space. He created time. He created the space in which we live. And so Paul's reminding us that our salvation is intentional. God God did not just like make this decision on the fly. He wasn't caught off guard by our sin and rebellion. No, it was also personal. There's never been a time when God's love has not rested on you. No, our salvation is personal, it's intentional, and then it's merciful. It's not the result of our works or our choice. I told you last week that, that in the final judgment, there'll be no handshaking with Jesus. No fist bumps, 
No, we're equal partners in this. No 75-25 split. No 95-5 split. No, salvation is 100% the work of God's grace. And that's why when we see Jesus face to face for the first time, we will bow the knee. And just as Philippians 2 reminds us, we will declare that his name is the highest name and the only name worthy of praise and eternal adoration. Salvation is all of grace. So Paul emphasizes this. We looked at that last week. But then let me show you now how he continues. All right, as we, as we work through chapter 1, now Ephesians 1, 7 says this. Notice the theme here of in him. Paul's, Paul's drawn our attention to how we are saved, right? We're saved through, through grace, God's grace and kindness. And now he's going to show us like what this means practically for you and me. Right, he says, in him, this is, gonna, this is gonna take us all the way through the rest of one, the fact that we are in him, in Christ. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses and sins, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Notice Paul here is talking about redemption. This is what Jesus has done for us. In him, we have redemption. I told you last week, this idea of redemption is like a sandcastle on the beach that you build one day and you feel like, oh man, nothing's ever gonna tear this down. And then you come in the next morning to the same location. And because of the tide coming in, literally everything's been washed away and it looks like you were never there. And that is a beautiful picture of the grace of God in our lives. When, when, when you come to a point in your life, when you turn from your sin, you acknowledge it, you own it, you confess it. And you ask Jesus through your belief that he lived and he died and he rose from the dead, right? Like when you, when you hide your life in Christ, here's what that means for you. You have redemption. And the Lord separates you from the consequences of your sin as far as the East is from the West. I love the psalm here that, that references that Psalm 103. Check this out. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. And then here it is in verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that good news? They're gone. Our sin, our guilt, our shame, gone. God does not count any of them against us anymore. Why? Because we have redemption in Christ and God the Father sees his children in the exact same way he sees his son. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your guilt. He doesn't see your shame. All that's been washed away and you've been given a special lanyard that says, Christian. It's actually not a lanyard at all. You know what it is? It's a covering of righteousness that comes from Jesus. And God the Father sees his children only through the lens of that righteousness that's given to us by King Jesus. And so God sees us in the exact same way he sees his son. That's why Paul's saying in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he has freely poured out on us. Us. And then notice, no, no, notice this in, in, uh, in, in verses, let me go back to verses nine and 10 here, that he's made known to us the mystery of his will. I love this. According to his good pleasure that he purposed how and where? In Christ, right? 
and has a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In other words, God's working everything together in this universe to a rightful end where Christ is glorified. He's given redemption to his people and he's, he's made known the mystery of his will and the good pleasure that he's purposed toward us in Christ. And so that everything in the future at a point of his choosing will culminate in, in a day of, of judgment and a day of glorification for his children where Christ will be magnified, both in the salvation of his children and the judgment of those who have refused him. See, God is going to be glorified throughout all eternity. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is that he's chosen to include us in his work. God was under no obligation to save us, but God is greatly glorified in our redemption and salvation. And, and the fact that we are in Christ means that we are in Christ forever. And that's why Paul, look at verses 11 and 12, says this, he says, in him, here we go again, in him, right? We have received an inheritance. So Christ is gonna be magnified throughout all eternity. God's gonna be glorified throughout all eternity. And here's one of the ways in the lives of his children he's going to be glorified is that we have an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ, in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In other words, Paul is saying, right? That, that we have this inheritance now. We have this assurance now. Heaven is guaranteed for the believer. And, and therefore, Paul says this inheritance is going to result in the glory of God's grace. And it's why he says that we put our hope in Christ so that it brings praise to his glory. Listen, I want you to understand, if you go back to verse four, Paul says, he chose us in him that we will be holy. You see, the immediate goal of our salvation is holiness. But the ultimate goal of our salvation is the praise of his glory. The immediate goal of our salvation is our holiness, but the ultimate goal is his glorification. Let me say it this way. We live to bring glory and honor to him. It's like when you build a house, right? What's the immediate goal of the construction? To build the house to get the walls put up, to get everything framed out, right? To um, finish everything, to have a kitchen and bedrooms and everything else. Like, like what's the immediate goal of building a house? Well, it's to get the house constructed, but what's the ultimate goal of the house? To make a home, to live in it, to raise a family in it. The ultimate goal is not to stand outside and look at the house all the time. No, no, the ultimate goal is to live in it. And similarly, I just want you to understand the immediate goal of your salvation and mine is our holiness. The fact that we're brought into a right relationship with God. The fact that we're covered in the righteousness of Jesus. The fact that we are given every spiritual blessing we need to live and to thrive. But the ultimate goal of our salvation is to bring glory and honor to God. 
That's the ultimate goal. And that's what Paul's saying we're gonna do. We have an inheritance promised to us, but the inheritance will ultimately bring glory to God to praise his glorious name because he's the one who's made it all possible. In other words, here's the most incredible thing about life, like as a Christ follower, is that you and I live for something and someone greater than ourselves. And we're here today to give glory to him. We live this week to give honor to him. That's why we do what we do. Paul says we've received an inheritance as men and women who put our hope in Christ that results in the praise of his glory. And then notice what he says in verses 13 and 14. I love this. It's like the final guarantee. What, a, what an encouraging word here. He says this, in him, notice in him, <laughs> our lives are now in Christ, right? We are also sealed. So we have this inheritance, we have redemption, right? Paul's progressing here that, that we're chosen to, to, to walk in holiness. God's brought us into a right relationship with him. We have redemption, we have an inheritance. And then as a guarantee, here's what God's done for us. He seals us with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. In other words, at the moment of your salvation, the Holy Spirit of God takes residence in your life life. It's what we refer to as the indwelling of the spirit. God's spirit now lives in every single one of his children. And, and notice what Paul says, the spirit is the down payment of that inheritance that he's all already referenced until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. And, and until we see Jesus face to face and we live with him forever. God has given us a seal of our redemption, and that seal is the Holy Spirit of God. I told you last week you can't lose your salvation. You know why you can't lose it? Because number one, it was never yours to give. And number two, God's work of salvation is so radical that all of us who have come to know his redemption, his forgiveness, right? Who have come to know freedom from sin and the hope of eternal life, we would truly never, ever, ever want to part with it. And God has given us this work of salvation. He's called us to himself. He's radically changed our lives. And then as a guarantee, he's filled us with his spirit. And notice what Paul is saying here. This spirit is like a seal. It's a guarantee that at the return of Christ, all of his children will be gathered unto himself. It's a, it's a down payment. It's a guarantee. This references back to, to something that Paul's original readers would have been well acquainted with, you know, uh, uh, having a, a seal, uh, having a letter sealed with, with the mark of the emperor, or the king, right? Having a ring and a seal that guarantees, like, hey, this is authentic. This is, this is the real deal. And, and that's what Paul's saying. You have the Holy Spirit. This is like God's seal on your life that he's never going to lose you and you're never gonna leave him. Now, we don't really have those kinds of seals today, but we, we do have a certain kind of seal. Like, I know for me raising kids, like I, I know the closest thing I ever saw to this kind of a seal with a ring is, is with a ring pop. Because when you get that ring pop and you give it to your kids, that seal gets all over the back seat of the van and you, it ain't ever coming out. <laughs> right? Like uh, you get that little ring pop, that little... It provides a certain kind of seal. You ain't ever gonna get, it, get rid of it. It's always gonna be back there somewhere stuck to the seat of your car, your van. And, and uh, you know, back in the original day, of course, you understand that, 
that this seal was something Paul's referencing to denote authenticity and authority. The seal of a monarch or of an emperor affirmed that something was true and guaranteed. It, it was like a signature, an autograph. It, it was a guarantee of authenticity and authority. And Paul is saying, God has not saved you to lose you. And his spirit is a down payment and a guarantee that he's always with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And you have an inheritance waiting for you that no one can ever take away from you. The inheritance of eternal life. This is the work of God and his children. We are in Christ. Literally, our identity has changed forever. That's why true identity can only be found in Christ. And so let me just give you a takeaway here as we wrap up chapter one. I just want you to see then that, that being in Christ should absolutely shape both our prayer and our perspective. Let me show you how Paul kind of works this out here at the latter part of, of chapter one. He helps us to understand that this should radically shape both our prayer life and our perspective in life. Let me start with prayer. Verses 15 and 19, check this out. This is what Paul says here, kind of in response to all this. He says, this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, that I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. And I just want you to notice what Paul is praying for. He says, I pray that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Paul here makes it, makes it clear that he's, he's praying for these Ephesian men and women that they would come to know more acutely and more personally the, the, the grace of God in their lives, that their eyes would be enlightened to the hope of their calling, that they would know the wealth of this inheritance and they would live for God, that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward everyone who believed and that there is literally nothing that can ever, ever, ever Take us away from his love or fail for us to fail to realize his provision in our lives. There's nothing that could ever prevent that. And I just wanna highlight for you what Paul's prayers throughout the New Testament are focused on. They are focused more on spiritual need than physical need. And this is a convicting word. Paul just runs through this incredible word about what it means to be in Christ, right? Like we, we, we have a salvation given to us by his grace. We have redemption. We have an inheritance. We are sealed by his Holy Spirit. Our lives literally are in Christ. If you're a Christ follower today, God the Father sees you in Christ. He doesn't see you as you. He sees you as his son or his daughter. He, he sees you cloaked in this righteousness. That's why you have an all access pass, right? To all the rights and privileges of, of eternal glory, right? Because you're in Christ. 
You're covered in his righteousness. And then Paul goes on to say, and because all these things are true, I am praying for you. I'm giving thanks to God for you. And here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that you come to know these rights and privileges more acutely and more personally. I'm praying that you come to know his wealth, his power, his greatness, his strength, that you trust him, that you live for him, that you hide your life in him, that there's nothing you go through that's, that, 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 that's ever without his presence or his power, that, that, that you bring glory and honor to him. And so I just want you to see throughout the New Testament, Paul Paul is always praying these types of prayers for his people. And I've been to a lot of like Wednesday night prayer meetings. Remember the old Wednesday night prayer meeting? Some of you remember this. And and at least in my experience, so much of our prayers in an American culture are about physical things that that are important things to pray about. But I think we miss the boat in our prayers so often by neglecting to pray for the spiritual. God, would you grant me your wisdom? God, would you remind me of the infinite power that you possess and that through your spirit dwells in me? God, would you remind me of your, of your infinite power wealth of, of this glorious inheritance that is mine so that my life is, is not tethered to something in this world, but it's literally tethered to the, to the world to come and the inheritance you've given to me. It's, it's, it's making sure our hearts are in the right place, that our lives are moving in the right direction. It's not that it's wrong or bad to pray for the physical needs that we have from time to time, to pray for others, to pray for healing. That, that's a good thing. I just would submit to you this morning, that's not the only thing. And the truth is, that's not even the most important thing. Which is why elsewhere, Paul said, you know what? For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And therefore, in this life, if you'll notice, and and I know we have one example here in Ephesians 1, but if you look throughout his letters to the churches, what you'll find is that he prayed more for the spiritual growth and tethering to Jesus than anything else. And I think that's a word for us in our life groups, right? In in our personal prayer time to to focus not not exclusively on the spiritual. No, there are needs that we have that we pray for. We pray for God's provision, his protection, his healing. But, but, but But to make primary in our prayers the spiritual over the physical, to pray like Paul prayed, to pray that, that our lives today would, 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 would be characterized by walking in the spirit, by anchoring our lives to the hope of our calling, to have this hope in us about the wealth of our inheritance, right? And the immeasurable, just to have this confidence that no matter what we face today, we have this immeasurable greatness of Christ power in us. And this is a word for Christ followers to see that because we are in Christ, it should shape how we pray. And we ought to pray more for our growth and our hope and, and the tethering of our hearts to his kingdom really than anything else. That's what Paul prayed for when he prayed for the Ephesians. And then 
not only does the fact that we're in Christ shape our prayers, it also shapes just our perspective. So let me, let me, let me get to the last couple of verses here of chapter one. This is amazing. I hope this encourages you as much as it encourages me. Here's how he concludes this opening section of the letter. Beginning of verse 20, he says, just, just remember, as we're praying these things, we're praying for our lives to be, to be anchored and tethered to Jesus. He says, just remember, he exercises power in Christ. How? In Christ, by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. He, he, in other words, Paul's saying, you don't have a power that's unproven. God has done all that is required to prove to you that he loves you and that, and that he's going to redeem you in a final sense at, at the final judgment and in the eternal state. He's proved it to you, right? He's proved it to you by raising his son from the dead. He says, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, right? He says, and he subjected everything under the feet of Christ and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Here's Here's what Paul is saying, that God has exercised this power, right? This immeasurable greatness of his power that he references in verse 19. He's demonstrated, exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead. He says, now Christ is far above every ruler, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Imagine being a citizen of Rome and hearing Paul say that, that there is a power greater than Caesar. Imagine living in 2022 in the United States of America and hearing in the madness and the craziness of this world, there is a power, there is an authority, there is a savior, there is a king who is above every power, every president, every king, every emperor. There is a name above every name and this powerful name of Jesus is the name that will endure forever. And, and, and this power has been exercised through Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection. And therefore, as Paul says, there, therefore, everything's subjected under his feet. He's the head over the church. He is in control of all things. So here, here's the perspective piece. We ought to pray more. I'm gonna challenge you today to pray more for your spiritual growth, for the wisdom of God for your identity to be tied to him and tethered to him and the immeasurable wealth that he's given to you in Christ. And then for your perspective, just to be reminded in the craziness of this world, listen, that our God through Jesus is in control of every circumstance. Listen, if by God's grace, the Cincinnati Bengals can win a playoff game, I'm telling you, our God can do anything. There's evidence yesterday with my mighty Bengals, right? I mean, they won. First time in 31 years, God's just reminding us. That's what I saw yesterday. Hey, I can do anything. <laughs> Listen to what Paul's saying as he wraps up this section. You see the practicality here? Hey, he chose you in him before the foundation of the world that you be holy and blameless in him. In love, he predestined you to adoption. You're now a son or a daughter if you know Jesus as your savior. And here's the awesome thing. Now you have redemption, you have an inheritance, you have the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And so when you pray, you pray that God will grow your faith and anchor and tether your life to him and the incredible inheritance you have. And as you go through life and you deal with all the ins and outs, hey, how about this perspective? 
you have a savior in whom you are hidden, who is literally greater and far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion. He says every title given, not only in this age, but in the age of come. Jesus is our savior and our king, and he rules and reigns over the lives of his children right now. There is nothing that can ever stop his work in his children. That's our hope. That's our hope. Let me say it this way. When we get the new heavens and new earth, <laughs> let me tell you something. Jesus' approval rating is going to be 100%. 100%. He's demonstrated his power and authority through his death, burial, and resurrection. And one day he's going to return. And when he does, he will usher in a kingdom that will never end. That's what awaits every single one of us.